Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Are just joining us. We've been going through uh, the last three weeks. We've been looking at the signs that God gives to us. We've looked at the stars. We've looked at some of the ways that He's spoken to us individually in our lives. And we're on week three here, and we're, we're going to look at the promises that God individually makes to us, and the promises that have actually been detailed through the course of history and all through Scripture. I want to take you back to my teenage days, not too long ago, uh, 20, 20, 20 years ago. I was uh, 17 years old, preparing to go off to Bible college. I had been dating the same girl in high school for the last four years. And when you've been dating in high school for four years, that's like 10 years in human years, right? So like for a, a high school student. And as we, as we were preparing to go, we were going to be three years, uh, three hours apart, and or sorry, an hour and a half apart, and then... Uh, eventually it could get longer than that, and we thought, if there was going to be a good time to break up, even though we've been together for four years, this was the right time to break up, because we all know long-distance relationships are difficult in the best of circumstances, and when you're 18, 19 years old and don't even really know who you are, it's really not easy to make a long-distance relationship work. And we had been talking about it, and for Christmas that year, I gave Amanda a promise ring. And I gave it to her and said, I'm giving you this promise ring because I want you to be able to go off to university. I want you to be able to go and live and enjoy everything that university would be able to offer you and be out with friends and be getting involved in clubs and teams and not worrying about what's going back on at home in my life. And we made this promise to each other believing that if we could count on each other, if we could believe in each other's word, that there would be something great for us in the future, but we didn't want to have that to be our focus and be worried about each other and be saying, hey, we have to find a way to, to not do everything at university, but, but make sure that we get together so we can make sure this long-distance relationship works. We felt like this could be really beneficial for our relationship. It could be beneficial for us as individuals just to live our lives, experience everything that we could, but also beneficial for our relationship. Now, how would you feel, parents, if a, a teenager in, uh, in it was grade 13 or OAC at that point gave your child a promise ring at that point? Like, what are you doing? Like, you, you kids have no idea. Like, you freak out. You have no idea what you're doing. But we talked about it with them and realizing that this kind of commitment was actually going to be to our benefit. Because it really is easier to make plans for your life when you can count on the promise that's been given to you Think about your pension savings right now. How many of you are confident that there will be money for you in your company's pension plan when you retire? Anyone? Anyone? Hands up. There, there's like six? Yeah. There, there's, I'm paying. I know. In, I'm paying into, we, uh, into the teacher's pension plan, and we are fully confident there will be nothing there, right? They, they've invested in the Maple Leafs and Bell Media, so I really don't know how, how firm that is. No, we know, we look at, in, in uh, Generation X, we are supporting the baby boomers as they retire. There is not enough of us compared to the baby boomers. We are not going to be able, you're going to use up all the money if you're in the baby boomer population. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We're, gonna, we're using it all up. We're going to live to 110 years old, and we're going to just keep, you just, we're just going to work till we're 85, I guess, right? 
<laughs> but we recognize I don't have a lot of confidence in the pension plan, so I better start putting away for RSPs and save my own money because I don't know that the promise that they're giving us that the money will be there, I don't really believe in that. So, so I can't properly plan my life because the promise is a little bit shaky. What about when, I don't know if, if you did this when you were getting married, we have the prenuptial agreements that people make. We're not convinced that the marriage will last, so we want to put a safety net in place in case the marriage doesn't work. We say, no, no, it's just because it's good business. No, we're doing it because we're not sure that the marriage will last, and we want to make sure that the, uh, the details are covered because the promise that's being made in marriage may last but 50% of the time, it doesn't last. And they call it a safety net because imagine a tightrope tight walker walking with that pole going across Niagara Falls, confident, maybe mildly confident in his or her skills and wanting a net there just in case because they know it's, it's pretty sure that we can make it, but I'm not 100% sure, so we put this safety net out. How often do you counter God's promise for you in your life, what you read in Scripture, How often do you counter God's promise with your own safety net? Saying, God, I trust what you read, I trust what I read in the Bible, but just in case, (laughs) I'm going to do a few things in my own life to make sure that I've got all the details covered. Just in case it doesn't work out exactly like what it says in Scripture, I better put a net out so that I've covered my basis. And the Bible is basically one giant story that encapsulates thousands of mini-narratives overall throughout the course of the story. But the story is basically this. It's the struggle of humanity wrestling with the question whether or not Jehovah is a God that keeps his promise. Author Stephen Richards, he's he's an author and a producer, he said this, promises are only as strong as the person who gives them. Think about that. A promise is only as strong as the person who gives them. And as we're in week three of this series, we're going to look at the specific promise that God makes to you and I all throughout scripture and in our lives. So if you're filling in notes, take out a pen or pencil, or if you're doing it online, you can do it, uh, doing it on your tablet or on your phone, you can fill it in digitally. But here's the first one, is that history teaches us that God makes, he both makes and keeps extreme promises. So let's go right back to the beginning of the story and make sure that we have all the details right in our heads. Because if you miss an important detail at the start, sometimes you can get lost. It's like if you missed the first 20 minutes of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and then you tried to watch the next 12 hours of movies, like, what is this ring all about? And why do we care about this ring? And we're, there's like a whole war. Like, if you miss the beginning some, or if you don't have the details right, you, you, you forget why things are so important. So we go back. God created human beings for one expressed purpose. He wanted to have relationship with human beings, and he wanted human beings to be in relationship. In Genesis 1, he says, we're going to create human beings to be in our likeness. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are in relationship together, and he said, we're going to create you to be just like us in relationship together, men and women, And then Adam was given one instruction, Genesis 2 and 16. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to, and I love how this is actually framed here because it just die is on one one line. If you are sure to die, that's like the big boom, the problem. This is, we have to get this detail right, that God made this, gave this instruction to Adam and he doesn't give any qualifier. It's not that the fruit is bad 
The knowledge of good and evil, we, t- we, we want to teach our kids this. We, we want to figure this out, right? We want to know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And God tells Adam, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. The, it's just given to him as is. How many of you struggle when something is dictated to you and there's no reason given? That's just the way it is. Don't ask why. I'm not going to explain it to you. Just trust me. This is the way it is. Anybody struggle with that? Most of us would struggle. We don't like that, right? This is how God starts off the entire story of humanity. I'm not going to tell you why. You just trust me. (laughs) Why? Humans regularly test the boundaries that God gives to them. It's, it's a developmental process. In, in adolescence, in fact, we won't see any adolescent mature until they've figured out what the boundaries is. That's the, that's the phase of life that they're in. They can't get out of your house until they figure that out. And as a frustrating process as it can be at times, we know that what happens is we get burnt by testing those boundaries. It's something that we go through. So that's, this is what we see happen in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The, the giant promise of the Bible gets introduced because Eve eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit, and, and then sin comes into the world, and there's a separation between humans and God. And so then God makes this giant promise of scripture. He's talking to Satan, and he's talking to Eve in Genesis 3 and 15. He says, I will put enmity, I will put fight distance between you and the women, between your offspring and hers. And we've highlighted that portion there between your offspring and hers, Eve's. And it gives you, an, I, I want to give you an idea about how extreme this promise is that God is making here. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever th- thought about this, but culturally, whose offspring would they typically have r- referred to? Eve's offspring? No. It they, they, they would have listed the male, the head. This would have been Adam's offspring. I'm going to put it's, Jesus was called the second Adam, the son of man. This, this promise should have been to Adam's offspring, not to Eve's offspring. The, some translations will actually, will actually identify it as, um, will put enmity between, Satan, between your seed and hers. Now, I don't know what you know about uh, reproduction, about who carries the seed and who carries the egg, but typically... <laughs> My understanding is the male carries the seed, but God says it's between your seed and her seed. It's her offspring. This is quite the extreme promise that God is making. The, the, the technical, the scientific uh, word for it is parthenogenesis. Yeah, I got that one out, parthenogenesis. And it's the embryo that uh, generates a child on its own without having a male seed. This is the promise, the extreme promise that God makes right back in Genesis, that, that we had done something to mess it up because, because no parameters were given. Adam and Eve didn't really know why they couldn't eat the fruit, so they said, I'm going to test it because I don't trust you enough, God. I'm going to do what I need to do. They messed it up, and then God makes this extreme promise. And this promise was made somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 years ago, and over 6,000 years, it's been partially fulfilled. Not fully, <laughs> partially fulfilled. The Bible is pretty clear that we are working on a totally different timeline than God is. You know that God doesn't always respond to the urgencies of the issues that we feel in our day-to-day lives because he sees how he has an eternity to make it right. We have this day-to-day urgent, like, God, you should do this. God, you would, if you love me, you would do this now. I can't really trust you because it's been a year 
And God says, you know the biggest promise I ever made is now 6,000 years and counting, and we've seen part of that fulfilled? God doesn't always respond to the urgency of our issues because he sees a much bigger timeline than than we see and experience and understand. And the story unfolds in the rest of the Bible that demonstrates how both God does not always respond to our immediate felt needs and how he is faithful to fulfill every promise that he's ever made. He doesn't always respond and he is faithful. Now that logic doesn't work. (laughs) And sometimes what God says just is and you're never gonna be able to figure it out fully and logically and completely because God is God and I am Rick. (laughs) I'm human. God's timelines are not our timelines, and he is trustworthy. That, the word and is such a powerful world, word. Sometimes we'll say but, and we'll put but in the middle of that, that God doesn't always respond to our immediate felt need, but he's faithful to fulfill them. But is that thing that we put in, say, just forget everything I said. You know, I really care about you, but <laughs> I'm going to totally break a promise. You know, I normally wouldn't say something offensive, but... <laughs> If you change it for the word and, it can make both statements true. God doesn't always respond to your immediate felt need, and he is faithful to fulfill every promise that he's ever made. So I want to walk us through the rest of scripture to see this promise. The promise was to restore all that we imagine a good God would want for his creation. Everything that we would ever perceive, if God was good, if God cared about us, here's how he would act. This is the promise that God is in the process of restoring. And it starts out that he shares the promise with one man. Abraham, back, we're still in Genesis. Abraham was a godly man. He was a wealthy man and he had no children. How many times could he say, God, how can you be a good God to me and how can you be my provider if you won't allow me to have children? And as Abraham is in his senior years, it's not till he's 75 that God starts introducing the promise to him. He had been journeying 75 years of his life struggling to figure out, is God good? Does God keep his promises? And then at 75 years old, he says, Abraham, look up, look up into, the, in, in, into the sky. And we've got a picture of what it could have looked like in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a black, starry night. Look up into the stars of the sky. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a promise with you. Can you count how many stars there are, Abraham? <laughs> nope. That's how many offspring I'm going to give you. This is the promise to a 75-year-old man that's never had a child and saying, God, you don't... God, that's baloney. I, I'm, I'm 75 years old. And then catch this. 15 years pass before he has the child of his own. When God gives him the promise and says, I'm going to do this for you, nothing happens for 15 years. So Abraham lays out his safety net and says, God wants me to have offspring. So I, I have a servant, and he, Abraham and Sarah concoct this plan. I have a servant who is not 75 years old, who could have a baby, who could bear a child. So you sleep with her and make sure that we have this baby so that we can have offspring. Puts out the safety net. 15 years later, finally, Sarah becomes pregnant. She's 90, he's 100. And don't get mixed up. They were old. They aged the same way that we would age. This is an absolute miracle that shouldn't have taken place. They weren't like, well, they lived a couple hundred years, so that's only like her being 40. No, she was 90, (laughs) he was 100. Our urgency is not always God's urgency. He has purposes and timelines that we can't even comprehend. And then, and then once they have this kid, 
<laughs> if you know the story of Scripture, they say, uh, God tells Abraham to go up onto the mountain and I'm going to show you the sacrifice that you're supposed to take. And so they take, he takes his son and he's up there and say, you're going to sacrifice the one and only son that I've given to you that su- seems to be part of the promise that I've given to you at 100 years old. And Abraham says, God, if you ask me to let go and sacrifice something that I once believed was part of the promise you have for me, then I will. How many of us can say that? God, you haven't, you've only fulfilled a tiny bit of what I thought you would do, and now you're asking me to give that up and sacrifice it? Okay, I will. And what we see is that Abraham gets to meet intimately involved in God's promise because he was able to take God at his word at that point. Up until that point, he hadn't pulled the safety net out. The safety net was still there. He had the baby with Hagar and they had Ishmael. He pulls the safety net out and says, God, I'm going to believe your promise just because you said it. And here's what we see in Genesis 22:16 and 17. Because you have done this, And not withheld your son, your only son. I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And God takes the promise that he introduces in Genesis. He shares it with one man. And then what he does, he entrusts it to an entire nation. Israel was established to be the first who were recognized as God's children for the expressed purpose of bringing the promise to the entire world. Isaiah 49 and 6 says, I will make you a light, this is written to Israel, a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Sometimes we struggle with figuring out what is, why, were, why was Israel God's chosen people and now they're not, like, are, are they in a more special place? Why would he choose one group of people over another group of people? Modern Western Christianity often forgets Think about this. If, if, if we have 6,000 years of history recorded in the Bible, the larger part of that, 4,000 years, to be God's children meant to be Jewish. That's what it meant. It didn't mean belief in Christ. It didn't mean to honor God. To be identified as God's children meant to be Jewish. And God entrusted the responsibility of fostering this promise to one nation and to nobody else. And people were born, lived, and died outside of the provision of having the opportunity to know God and know God's faithfulness. And the beautiful thing about God's faithfulness is that I trust he has a plan for this. I trust that God has a plan for the people that lived and died over those 4,000 years and never knew the name of God, never knew the name Jehovah, definitely didn't know the name of Jesus because that's well before that time ever came. And just because you or I can't see it, doesn't mean that it's not in the works. Catch this. Sometimes God works beyond our reasoning, beyond our ability to explain it. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it isn't happening. And Israel's time as the promise holder was not for the benefit of Israel, but it was as a chosen nation to demonstrate the relationship between God and people and then expand it to the entire world, which is what we see in Isaiah. Paul addressed it in a letter to the Romans later on. Paul was a Jew writing to Gentiles, writing to people who weren't Jewish. So he writes it to the Romans about how God interacted with people before Christ. And here's here's what he's talking about. These were Gentiles. They know the truth about God, Romans 1, 19 and 20. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. They've seen signs, right? They were able to identify the constellations 
through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and divine nature. And the promises of God are being worked out and fulfilled even though we may not have physical, tangible evidence of that. I want to go back to the story I started with. Life is easier to live when you can believe the words of somebody else, when you can believe the promise and saying, even though you don't see me today, even though it's years into the future, just trust me and live like my word is true. Life is so much easier to live than when we say, I got to make sure that I've covered all my bases because I can't be certain that God's word is true. So it was shared with a man. It was entrusted to a nation. And then, of course, the promise was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, spreading the gospel around the world. And that was the beginning of the fulfillment. We fully believe that he is coming back. And when he does, it will usher in a brand new era of this promise when life will return to its original design where there was supposed to be no break between humans and God, where there's no sin, where there's no pain, there's no death. This was the way that it was created. And the only reason why there's this break is because we couldn't take God at his word. What a beautiful story, though, that the Bible is detailing, saying, I'm bringing it back. I see that time doesn't have the same significance to me, God saying, as it does to you because I'm seeing how where this ends up. And the greatest struggle that most people have is that God doesn't work fast enough for them. <laughs> how fast does God need to act to earn your trust? It took him 75 years to begin sharing the promise with Abraham and 99 years to see any action at all. Israel carried the promise on its own for 4,000 years for you and I. And Jesus said, I'll be back soon. So keep watching. He said, I'll be back soon. He said that 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Is it possible that the struggle you and I have had with trusting God to be good to his word is really more a matter of time and perspective than it is a matter of God being trustworthy? That brings us to our application point, that God will keep his extreme promise to you. What is the thing that you have that is separating you from God? Even even those of us who live day by day in regular relationship with God will often have a question about whether God is going to come through for us or not. And whether God is going to come through in a way that is super important to us, a way that something that's on our minds all the times, that's in our hearts all the times, and we can't, we can't figure out why God isn't answering the promise that he said he would or why God isn't doing anything. Maybe you don't even know what the promise is that God has about what's going on in your life. And we set up lists of reasons why we think God hasn't come through for us, including everything from, you know, it's just not God's time. God, this will happen when it's God's time. It could be. What if God's time is in a few thousand years? Is that okay with you? How quick does God need to ask to act to earn your trust? Maybe you say, it's just because I don't have enough faith. If I had more faith, if I prayed better, then, then God would come through for me. Some of us come to the conclusion that, well, if God hasn't done anything yet, then he isn't able to be trusted. I want you to read the words that Paul wrote to Timothy 
2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, catch this, he remains faithful. (laughs) So it's not a matter of whether we're faithful enough. It's not a matter of whether we're righteous enough. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And they and through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you know what Amen means? Why we say Amen at the end of every prayer? All it means is let it be done. It doesn't mean let it be done today, it just means let it be done. And we spent the last couple of weeks looking at how the entire universe was actually set up as a reminder that God has control and that he's coming back. That when we see, when we see a red moon, what do we see? We, the promise that when Jesus died, he's coming back. When we see the constellation in it and the, the stars pass through different pieces and there's one that's breaking the change, it's a, it's a reminder that God has broken our penalty of sin. When we see a rainbow, it's that we can have peace, that God has order over the chaos in the world. Some people share with me this week about how how amazingly on a week that we were talking about specific signs God may give to us, they heard from somebody new that they hadn't heard from in months about how an opportunity opened up that they really weren't even aware of. Listen, it's not that God doesn't answer prayers in our time. (laughs) It's that if he doesn't, can you still be, can you still trust him? The story of the Bible is one long drawn out promise intertwined into the details of the lives of humans and the dealings of countries and the ongoings in families. And regardless of how that promise is intertwined into your life today, it is not proof against the veracity of God and what his word is. It's part of the sign that points us that God is in control and that he's working it out. And his answer may come today and his answer may come in 15 years His answer may come with you living and passing and moving on, and then his answer may come. (laughs) But God's still in control. This morning, we're going to respond with the song that's been on our bumper, the, the So Will I. Could you pull up just the words of the second verse there, Amanda? On that. where it says you're the God of your promise and you don't speak in vain no syllable is empty or void for once you have spoken all science and nature follow the sound of your voice and then when you get to the end of the chorus it says if all creation obeys you then so will I I'm going to ask you to stand with me And this may be a new song for you. If you just want to read the words, go ahead. If you want to just take some time and reflect. Listen to the voice of God through this song, through this time, and I'll come back and close with us. But I want to challenge you. Even in a moment when trusting is hard, can you trust God and worship him and honor him in this moment? And if you're here this morning... And you just want to take a symbolic step of submission to God and his provision and his will and his timing. And you just want to say, Lord, I have a need. And even if I can't see you working it out today, I trust you. We're just going to raise our hands like this. And all over the room, people will 
people do, no pressure. This is just an expression of worship, and we're going to lead out in a prayer together. Lord, you see those with hands raised, God, and you know our stories. Lord, there are here, those here are dealing with cancer. Lord, there are those here who don't have a job. Lord, there are those here who don't know if you even exist. And you see those individuals with their hands raised high. And in the name of Jesus, I pray you speak a peace to all of our hearts. Holy Spirit, your, your name is the comforter. And the comforter that comes that doesn't answer every question and take away every doubt, but just gives the confidence that, that when we don't know an answer and when we don't see the plan, we can have peace that you're in control. And so in Jesus' name, that's what we speak to each one of our lives, Lord. Help us to, to read your word and exist from that perspective, not, not needing to criticize, not needing to question, just saying, Lord, if you've said it, I believe it. And in Jesus' name, we ask you to give us that kind of confidence, Lord. God, I pray that you speak, that you do miracles in these situations. Lord, this very week, people will get a job. They didn't have the job. Lord, I, we know you heal people. And in the name of Jesus, we ask that you heal. But God, our belief is not contingent upon how you respond. Our belief is contingent upon your word. And you are who you said you were. And Jesus was who he said he was. And he came and did what he promised he would do. And he's coming back. And we're still waiting, Lord. God, thank you that we can live confidently and speak confidently. Jesus, thank you for the sweet presence that's been in a room as we worship and as we read your word and study your word. God, it's so good to be in a place where we can be encouraged. God, thank you for everybody that's been here today just to, to be together like this. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.